is for me a privilege to be here with you all this morning um, as we continue in our series, Day and Night Until, which, as we know, is looking at our prayer lives and focusing on intercessory prayer. And for those of you who were here with us last week, you'll know that Chris resumed and kicked off the second part of this series for us by looking at the Lord's Prayer. And uh, if you missed that message, I'd encourage you to listen to the podcast via our website or one of our apps. A real encouraging, uplifting, powerful message. And over the next few weeks, we are going to continue to look at prayers in the New Testament and how we can apply those to our lives. Now, as I was preparing this message, and uh, even this morning as I was seeking the Lord, I got a real sense, a real burden of expectation that in this place, this morning, God is wanting to do a new thing in our hearts and our minds. Friends, I stand here on this stage, in in this pulpit, with faith that if we allow him to, our God is wanting to transform us from one degree of glory to the next, as his scripture says, that he wants to conform us to the likeness of his son. Why? So that we can bear fruit for the glory of our God, as we've been singing earlier. And you may say to me, well, Mark, what gives you such confidence, such expectation that this will happen this morning? Well, God knows that it isn't in in my ability, in my words, but as the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1, and I love this, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. You see, friends, this isn't any other book. This isn't a dead book of dead words. This isn't just black text or white paper. This is a living, breathing, life-transforming, life-changing word of God. Now, Hebrews 4, 12, Chris referenced this last week. This this word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, able to pierce us right through to the soul and our spirit, to discern our intentions, our thoughts, and our motivations. You see, friends, we don't read this book. This book reads us. Isn't that great news? So what is this message this morning, the life-transforming, life-changing message? Well, it is something that every one of us seeks, something which the nations of the world strive for, And it is this, hope. Hope. You see, in this day and age, this time that we live in, where we are awaiting the fullness of God's kingdom, we are intended to put our hope in and for him, to have earnest and confident expectation in the coming of our Lord to have earnest and confident expectation that right now in this place, in this moment, we can walk in the fullness that God has for us. And you know, this hope is not the kind of hope that the world offers. You know, a kind of hope which is, is we were wishful. A kind of hope which is uncertain. A kind of hope which attempts to provide an answer for the now and fails and has absolutely no answer for the life to come, which will come. 
No, friends, you see, this kind of hope that we speak of is an altogether different kind of hope. It is an unshakable hope in an unshakable God. An everlasting hope in an everlasting God. A perfect hope in a perfect God. And you know, the scriptures tell us that without this hope, we grow sick. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. You know, the financial crisis of 2007 and the ensuing recession that came, the coroners of England and Wales released some stats that showed that during that time, the suicide rate went up by 15%. 15% where previously it had remained stable. And more shocking and sadder than that, in many affluent areas, it went up by 50%. 50%. Why? Despair, lack of hope for the now, for the future. You know, this past week, Steph and I and the kids, um, we had the pleasure of going away on holiday with my parents who are here visiting from Australia where they emigrated a few years ago. And uh, we went to North Devon and we were truly blessed with gorgeous sunshine. You know, it was late 20s, etc. And um, we checked out some of the beautiful beaches in North Devon. They are gorgeous. And I remember on one occasion walking towards the beach and picture the scene with me, if you will. You know, it was blue skies. Genuinely, there was, you know, only a couple of fluffy white clouds. Can you believe it? <laughs> and the sea, I, I kid you not, was shimmering in the sun. And the sand was white and fluffy. Yes, I was in England. It was beautiful. But you know, amongst this picture-perfect postcard, next to me was a guy, maybe late 30s, early 40s, and he was talking to a couple. And he said to them, you know, I drink a lot. I smoke a lot. Maybe I've got 20 years to live. And then he said this, the truth is, I'm just stuck in a rut. No hope. You know, many of us have heard similar things from others, have we not? Or maybe this morning, that is you. Well, friends, I come with good news this morning. I come with a message of hope. Because you see, this God of hope is not only able, he is not only willing, but get this, God wants to pour out his unshakable everlasting, perfect hope in you this morning. Will you allow him? Will you let him? Will you open your heart to the Lord this morning and say, yes, God, I need that kind of hope. I am done with the hope that the world offers. And so what we're going to do in the next 25, 30 minutes is unpack the apostolic prayer of hope, the prayer from the Apostle Paul found in Romans. And as we do that, we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us and then the second part of the message, we are going to spend a brief time looking at how we can actually apply that prayer to our own prayer lives. So let us pray, and then let us get into this powerful, life-changing word. Oh Lord, I thank you that you are here amongst us this morning. That you are able and willing and want to pour out this perfect hope into our hearts. God, would you prepare us to hear your word this morning? Would our hearts be as fertile soil to receive your word? 
God, come and authenticate the preaching of your word with signs and wonders in this place. Would we not leave this place unchanged this morning, God? Come, I pray, in power and anoint me afresh to preach your word, I pray. In your name, amen. So, friends, let us turn to our text this morning. It is Romans 15, verse 13. It's only one verse, but packed with so much power. Uh, and if you don't have your Bibles with you, or I know many of us use uh, Blackberries, iPhones, iPads, it is also on the screen. And it reads like this. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, rather conveniently for me, this verse can actually naturally be broken up into four parts. So what we're going to do is look at each part, and uh, we're going to touch on a couple of points for each one. Okay, so the first part is this. May the God of hope. Now, friends, oftentimes when we study and meditate on the word, it is helpful for us to understand the author and who it's written to, the time, and also the culture of the time that it is written in. And, you know, we know that during that time, the Romans, the Greeks, had many, many different types of gods. They would look to different types of gods for different parts of their lives. And, you know, even in the Bible, we get a great glimpse into the culture of the time. You know, in Acts 17, when Paul is in Athens, that great city, and we have the fantastic evangelistic sermon of Paul. It gives us a great glimpse, great glimpse into that culture. And we haven't got time to read it together, so if you will allow me, I shall paraphrase. And Paul starts by saying this. I can see that you are a religious bunch. For everywhere I go, I can see a God for this and a God for that. And in fact, I have even seen an inscription that says, to an unknown God. Wow, talk about covering their bases, eh? (laughs) And you know, I love what what Paul does next. Masterfully, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says this. But I am here to tell you that this unknown God, this God that you are yet to know, is the God of heaven and earth. Amen. And he goes on to reference the wonderful 24th Psalm. The earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it. And the point he's making is this. You may not even know that God exists, or you may know that God exists, but not choose to believe in him, but that does not mean that God is not the God of heaven and earth. And by the way, for some of us, that is the message this morning. Because Paul goes on to say that all of us live and move and have our being in God. So we see that the Greeks had many gods, and we know the Romans had many gods. In fact, History tells us that the Romans even had a God of hope. But rather ironically enough, we, f- we know that the temple of the God of hope burnt down a couple of times. oops daisy You would have thought maybe by the second time these Romans would have thought, well, maybe this is not the right God of hope. But you see, I think Paul, knowing the culture of the time, knowing that there was a disposition to want to worship multiple gods, a propensity to look to different gods for different things, said it in this way. May the God of hope. 
May thee, God of hope. May thee, God of hope. And you know, I don't know about you, but it's, isn't it easy in the 21st century to look through the passage and the corridor of time and chuckle to ourselves <laughs> those silly Romans. Fancy having a God for this and a God for that. But friends, are we any different today? We, we may not construct for ourselves a temple out of brick. Sure, we may not chisel for ourselves a, a temple out of stone. But I'll be the first to put my hand up and say, I recognize scenes in my life where I've put my hope and trust in other gods, other gods with a small g. You see, whatever takes lordship in your heart is a god. Maybe it's a big bank balance and a large income you put your hope in. I'm ashamed to say I've been there. It wasn't until that temple burnt down that I saw the futility of my ways. Or maybe it's status and position. Maybe it's a lifestyle that you have a relationship with someone in particular. It could be many things. But you see, the word says that Having any other God beside the God is akin to, to building our house upon the sand. You see, when the weather's fine and the weather's good, that, that house may look pretty sturdy, right? But all it takes is for a wind of despair to come howling through, a rain of sadness, and before you know it, there's cracks appearing, and then the house comes tumbling down. Friends, we are called to put our hope in the God of hope, to build our house on the immutable, unshakable, everlasting, perfect rock of God. See, I know for me that I can't even get past the first commandment without failing. Thou shalt have no other gods beside me. And for many of us this morning, as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes to another God that you have in your heart illuminating your conscience to something that you have put your trust in. Well, friends, if that is you this morning, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you, I'd encourage you, repent. Ask for God's forgiveness and move into the freedom that he has for you. And at the end of the service, my right, your left, the ministry team will be there, and if you would like to pray through that with people, they would love to pray with you. Okay, so we move on to the second part. As a recap in the first part, you know, Paul has put in our minds front and center that there is only one God and he is the God of hope. And so we read in the second part, fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. And there's two things I want to show us. The first is this, that this prayer contains a promise. And the promise is this, that we are filled with joy and peace. Oh, what a beautiful promise. Who wants to be filled with joy and peace? Amen, amen. We all do, don't we? We all do. And yet we see in this that there is a condition. We have our part to play. We are to trust in him. Now we can flip this around the other way and I can read it like this. If you do not trust in God, you will not experience the fullness of his joy and peace. You know, when you say it like that, it's pretty stark, isn't it? But see, the truth is, friends, the more we trust in God in every area of our lives, the more we experience the joy and peace. You know, we, we might trust God in eight out of ten things, and that's fine, but God's calling you to do the other two as well. 
You know, you might move in a measure of peace and joy. Well, amen, that's great. But God has more for us, more for you. Trust him in all things. How does that look like? Well, Philippians 4, 6. I'm sure many of you know this verse. It's certainly a life verse for me. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. I think Paul's trying to make a point here, isn't he, with the anything and the everything. Present your request to God with thanksgiving. You see, when we present our request to God with thanksgiving, we are demonstrating trust in God. That's how it works. And then what happens? And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our heart and our minds in Christ Jesus. You see how that works? We were never intended to trust on ourselves, rely on ourselves, and rely on other things. Just as my children implicitly trust in me, so we are called to be childlike towards God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, another fantastic two verses. Trust the Lord with all your own heart and lean not on your understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he shall direct your paths. Let us look, friends, closer to home with our growing family campaign. You know, God is calling us to extend the boundaries of our tent. He is calling us to extend the boundaries of our ministry. Why? So we can build the kingdom of God that we can gather in the lost for his glory. And he's calling us to extend our physical capacity in order to be able to do that. And we're looking, as you know, to buy one of the buildings opposite the road. And I'll tell you something, I've been there in the flesh, in the human natural eye, it may seem like a Herculean task. What? What? We're fine here. We're cozy. Don't, Don't stretch us, God. Well, friends, let me encourage you. Trust in him. Trust in him. He does not call us without making a way for us. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust in him. And friends, this may come even closer to home because for some of you, God is calling you to sow into this financially. And it's an amazing blessing. I think we're just over 600,000. Is that right, Chris? In the past, what, 10 weeks or so? That's amazing. But you know, the truth is we need a couple of hundred thousand more. That's the target that we're moving to by July. And for some of you, God has been opening your eyes and saying, I want you to sow into that. And you know, the the initial reaction can be fear and, oh God, I can't do that. But friends, I'd encourage you, if that's the Lord speaking and you know it's the Lord, then lean not on your own understanding. Trust him and experience that perfect peace. And so what does that perfect peace look like? Well, I absolutely love the story in Mark 4 with Jesus and the disciples in the boat. We all know this. Maybe we've heard this at Sunday school. You know, the story where they're in the boat and Jesus is asleep and there's a big storm. It's not just a tepid storm. This is a life-threatening storm. The scripture says that the water's coming into the boat. And the disciples are fearful. They turn around and Jesus is sleeping. They say, Jesus, Rabbi, wake up. We're about to die and drown. And Jesus wakes up and says, peace to the storm. And the storm disappears. You know, friends, often when we look at that story, when we reflect on it, we look at the power and the authority of the command of Jesus. And that is right. And that is good. But friends, have you also noticed that Jesus was asleep during that storm? I mean, in fact, I love it. The word says he was asleep on a pillow. I mean, you know, Jesus was intentional in having a nap. 
and yet he was able to sleep through that storm? Well, friends, that is the kind of peace which surpasses all understanding. You see, a kind of peace which is not dependent on our circumstances, not dependent on what's going around us. Paul said, did he not in chains, I have learned to be content in all things. Well, that is the peace and the joy that God is calling us to, a peace and joy rooted in him, on his rock. And the second thing in this part, it starts with fill you. That is not there by accident. Do you know what it means? We were always intended to be filled with the love and the joy and the peace of God. We were never intended to be vacuum. And the truth is this, whatever you trust in will fill you. It's a kingdom principle. You see, if you trust in worldly and temporal things, worldly and temporal things will fill you. They will. But if you trust in the living, perfect, unshakable, everlasting, immutable God, then perfect peace, perfect joy will fill you. That is what we were created to do and to be. So let us move on. In part one, Paul has for us established front and center that there is only one God and he is the God of hope. And as we look to the God of hope, we are able to trust in him. And as we trust in him, we are filled with joy and peace. And so it leads us to the third part, which is this. So that you may overflow with hope. Now when you see the so that, it shows us that whatever preceded it is a prerequisite for what follows. Let me say that again. I appreciate it's a bit of a mouthful. But it's really important. I want you to get this. The so that is there to show us that whatever precedes it is a prerequisite for what follows. You see, what Paul is saying here is this, that perfect peace and joy from God is a prerequisite to move and to overflow in his hope. That's what it's saying. Let's unpack that a little bit more. Don't you know that when fear and anxiety and doubt and those negative emotions come rushing in, the world can look pretty bleak. You might try and grab an ounce of hope, but it dissipates pretty quick. You see, those negative emotions are as if we have a distorted lens that we look through the world, we look through God in. It's as if a veil has come between us and experiencing our God of hope. Friends, let's, let us look at Adam and Eve before the fall. They walked in the fullness of relationship with God. They talked with him. They had communion with him. They enjoyed his presence. And we know the story, do we not? They decided they wanted to lean on their own understanding. They decided that they wanted to be like God. They wanted to know the difference between right and wrong. And so we know the story well. They ate the apple and they disobeyed the one command. And sin came rushing into this world. And fear, anxiety, guilt, and shame came rushing into their hearts and they ran away from God. And it was as if a veil came between God and man that was never intended to be there, that was never there before they disobeyed God. And so all of a sudden they couldn't see this God of hope. They had no hope. So friends, this, this story from Genesis right through to Revelation this story that's playing out right now in St. Albans, in this place, in this room, is a story of redemption. A story of a God that loves us so much that sent his only begotten son to die for us. Christ on that rugged cross bore our sins 
and bore the penalty of those sins that we should have had. Why? So that we can enter into relationship with God, as it says in Ephesians 3. And we know the story that when Jesus breathed his final breath and said, it is finished. That veil that was in the temple was torn in two. That veil that had stopped man from fully experiencing entering into the presence of God had gone. You see, through Christ, we can have access to our Father. We can experience that God of hope that is calling us. And so this is how it works, friends. You see, when you make that trust and you say, yes, I'm going to walk in all that Christ has died for me. When you walk through the veil that's torn and you're filled with the peace and joy, you see and experience the God of hope and you cannot but help have hope. Because when you experience and know that God loves you no matter what, when you know that nothing will separate you from the love of God, when you know that his word says he wants your cup to overflow, then you are filled with hope. When you know that his word says he has good plans for you of welfare and of good things, you're filled with hope. You see, hope comes from experiencing and knowing the God of hope. And you know, friends, it says this, overflow with hope. You know, for some of you, this may be a light bulb moment, a moment where things become clear. A moment where the lies of the enemy are shattered because I'm here to tell you that this God that we serve, that we love, is a God of abundance. He is not a stingy God. He doesn't just give you a little bit to get by. He wants you to overflow with this hope. I was only this morning reading in my quiet time, Psalm 52. It says, restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. God is generous towards us. Because he loves us. So we move on to the final part of this prayer. As a recap, Paul has established for us that there is only one God and he is the God of hope. And that as we look to him, we are able to fully trust in him. As we trust in him, he fills us with that perfect peace and perfect joy. And as we do that, we fully experience the God of hope and we are filled with hope. And it ends with this, by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, friends, this, this perfect peace, this perfect joy, this hope that I speak of cannot be engineered with our hands. We cannot create it. It cannot be conjured up in our mind. It cannot be worked out through good circumstances. No, it's a divine, supernatural, grace-filled, mercy-filled gift of love all we're called to do is have trust in him. And when it says by the power of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, it means two things. The first is that it is reserved for those that call upon the name of the Lord. That those that make a choice to say, I trust in you, God. I accept that I'm a sinner, but that you sent your only son to die for me so that I can have access to my Father in heaven. That I can walk into the Holy of Holies. But you know what the good news is? The second thing is this that the invitation is for everyone. All those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friends, you might be here this morning and you have yet to make that first step of trust. You have yet to call Father Abba. You have yet to look at Christ and say, thank you for taking my sins on the cross. 
Thank you that by your righteousness, I am righteous and holy in God's eyes. If that is you this morning, God is calling you home. You can experience this unshakable, everlasting hope. You can walk in this perfect peace and joy. Do not leave this place without saying yes to the Father. Yes, I'm coming home, as we sang this morning. My right, your left, at the end of the service, the ministry team would love to pray for you if that's you. It says in the scriptures that angels in heaven rejoice when one comes into the family. Thank you, Lord. But for some of us this morning, we may have already made that first step of trust. We may have already acknowledged that Christ is our Lord, and that's great. Thank you, Lord. But I, I feel the Lord has got a specific message for you this morning. There is more. He's encouraging each one of you to walk in the fullness. You see, Paul says in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, and this is to Christians, as we have received Christ, walk in him. Be uprooted, be built up in him. You see, we can accept Christ, give a tick and say, right, I'm going to heaven and carry on living our own way. That is not what we are called to do, friends. Some of us just look to the cross, but we don't take up the cross. God has got more for you. He loves you. He has a plan for you. And that leads me on to the second part. I'm only going to spend a few minutes on this. But I recognize I've been there that good intentions on a Sunday can become a battle on Monday, can they not? <laughs> you know, you set your face to God on Sunday, and by Wednesday, you're like, what happened? What went wrong? It was all going so well. You know, the good news is this. That, that prayer to the Romans can be our prayer. We can pray this for ourselves, for our family. And so in the next three, three or so minutes, what I want to do is just give you some helpful tips on how you can pray this. You know, I love what Chris said last week. And I'm not going to attempt to say in Hebrew. You did a very good job, by the way, Chris. Um, but the translation is heart work. You see, prayer is heart work. We need to engage our hearts. And that can be hard sometimes, especially when the flesh is tired and we've got distractions. And so these are just some helpful tips, a framework that you can help yourself as you do the heart work. The first is this. Often with these prayers, you'll notice that it starts with addressing God in a particular way. Our Father who art in heaven. Earlier in Romans, Paul says, may the God of comfort and peace. In what we've just studied, it says, may the God of hope. So acknowledge God for who he is. Second of all, claim the promise that's in that prayer. We've just looked at that promise. Fill you with all joy and peace. Claim that God loves it when his children say, you said in your word, God. Why? Because it shows that we have faith and we trust him that he is true and just. Third, recognize that if we have our part to play, we cannot do it on our own. We need God's help. You know that scripture, when you are weak, you are strong? It may seem paradoxical, but the reality is, is that when you are weak and you acknowledge your weakness to God, he is able to fill you with strength. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Come in humility, ask him to help you. And lastly, thank him that he has heard you. Thank him that he will do that which he has said he will do. So let me quickly pray through this prayer as an example with these four things. Lord, thank you that you are my God of hope. Thank you that you are the only God of hope. And Lord, would you forgive me where I put my trust and hope in other gods? And by the way, as you pray, pray the Holy Spirit may lead you into those areas, maybe illuminate you to maybe some sin that may be in your life. Go with that. But Lord, I thank you that your word says that I can experience a fullness, fullness of joy and peace. Lord, I want that. 
I want that. But I recognize, Lord, that I cannot fully trust in you. I cannot trust in you every time. Lord, I need your strength. This Monday with a board meeting or this Wednesday when I'm meeting so-and-so, help me in that situation to trust you. And Lord, I thank you that I would be overflowed with hope. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have heard me. Amen. You see what I've done there, friends? I've taken this prayer and made it my own. And lastly, an example of intercession as we stand in the gap between God and man and God and others. Lord, thank you for my wife, Stephanie. Thank you that you are her God of hope. I pray, Lord, that she would look to you in all things. God, I pray in this coming week she'll be able to learn to trust in you and that as she does, your word says, Lord, that she will be filled with your joy and your peace. You see what I've done there? For our nation, for our church, we can pray that. So as over the next few weeks we go through these prayers, I'd encourage you, don't just leave this auditorium and forget about it, but pray it. Don't let the sun go down tonight without praying this prayer, friends. It's not just something you read and put back on the shelf. This is live and active. So as I invite the band back up here, I want to end with a question. And it is a question for everyone sitting here. What is your response to this word? You see, God's word demands a response. If you've never accepted Christ as your Lord, well, now is your moment. I'd encourage you to say, yes, Lord, I want to come home. And if this morning you have been convicted and your eyes have been opened that there's many areas in your life that you need to trust God, I I encourage you to walk in that. And the prayer team at the end of the service would love to pray with you. So let us stand and let us pray together. And just before I do that, I want to leave you with this final verse. God says in Jeremiah 29, 11, that he will give you a future and he will give you a hope. Lord, I thank you that you are our God of hope. That in this place in St. Albans at the Vineyard, you are our God of hope. Oh God, would we look to you in all things? Would we trust you in all things? God, I thank you that as we do, you will fill us with your perfect peace and your perfect joy and that we would overflow with hope. Oh God, I thank you. I thank you that you have heard our words. You have heard our cry and our prayer. Come, Lord, meet with us, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.